welcome to the Rogue Agronomist Podcast with Kyle from Stall Agronomy. You never know what I may say or who will be on, but you know it'll be real because that's me. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. It's Kyle from Stall Agronomy. Today I had a guest, a map coon from Kansas. As everybody really actually knows him as KSU Fearless on Twitter. So Jordan, as as we talk about our experiences in ag retail, our experiences in farming, and uh, pretty much whatever we wanted to talk about. So tune in as we talk about these topics and more. All right, Leave so me. Matt McCoon from Kansas, Kansas? Yep. yep. Plainville, Kansas. <laughs> so you work for an ag retailer. Yep, I work for Nutrient Ag Solutions. So my favorite thing on TikTok, uh, do you, are you on TikTok? I don't even know if we, so you're just a Twitter guy. So you just, just cause a bunch of nonsense on Twitter, not on TikTok. I like, to, I like to start fires and run away on Twitter. <laughs> Everybody on TikTok thinks I hate ag retail. And I'm like, no, they just keep doing stupid stuff. <laughs> I get to talk about it. No, it's, um, it's funny. I've got to the point where somebody sent me an email they went to my website to be even like more anonymous. So I got a like a website inquiry from a guy, fake name, fake phone number, fake email. He's just like, you don't know what you're talking about with ag retail. I don't even know if you ever worked in ag retail. You don't even know anything about ag retail. You're just so off base. You should, you should just get off TikTok. And I'm like, all right. So if you were going to be more anonymous, why did you go to my website where I have IP address tracking and all this other stuff? So I, I knew his, where he had sent it from, what device it was on, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, all I have to do is contact your IP and figure out what your name is. So if you're on TikTok, you're more than going to my website, but okay. I just, I, I don't know. I get a lot of people that TikTok is. So if you're not on TikTok, you have to understand TikTok is like, Twitter, but meaner. It's like the worst comments I've ever gotten in my career on TikTok. So, yeah, I think uh, that's probably part of why I've avoided it. it I, at least in the Twitter world, we have the ag Twitter group that's pretty, you know, everybody yep. kind of knows somebody or knows the other people. And there's a little bit of repertoire there. Yeah, there's some crossover from Twitter to TikTok. Um, I had a guy, I was talking about biologicals and some of the stuff that's going on with bios lately. And I had a guy comment on it, obviously, you know, negative comment. I'm like, I've seen that name before. Yeah, I've seen him on Twitter. And he's a biological dealer. I'm like, oh, that figures. It's like when we make, or, you know, we don't make fun of cover crops. I just talk about this, the other side of cover crops and the struggle I get is you get those people that are like, oh, cover crops is the only way to farm. And it's like, all right. Like, I just know what you're all about pretty much by your comments. So that's fun. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, most people that know me on Twitter know that I'm just really sarcastic, but like, <laughs> I, I didn't realize how farming was so relative until I was on Twitter. You know, I, I thought like, this is the way you farmed. And then you get on there and I lived in Minnesota for a year. So, you know, Farming up there was completely different than down here. I mean, like, we're not even talking we're in the same industry, relatively speaking. So, 
I do like to get on there and cause a little hell with people about that's not the way you do it. But I mean, because <laughs> they, they're coming running at me with the same thing. Well, you guys have been dry that way. And then there was, it was a post, I think last fall, somebody posted something about their winter wheat was, you know, the dirt was drifting off the winter wheat because it was so dry, essentially. And everybody's like, well, with cover crops, you'd have more moisture because you'd have more organic matter. And like, it hasn't rained in six months. What am yeah. I supposed to do? The wheat plant or is planted, it just didn't even grow. You know, it's just no that's, moisture. That's what the one guy that attacked me when I was spraying my wheat stubble. I was just like, like if you planted a cover crop, you wouldn't have to spray your wheat stubble. I'm like, well, I probably would have because it would be just as bare as it is right now. <laughs> and those seven pigweeds out there would be coming up, and I don't want to let them go to wheat, go to seed. So that was, uh, yeah, I've had a cover crop after winter wheat that didn't get sprayed off, and it was just full of freaking water hemp last year. The cover crop was just like, well, a little pathy. The, the the thing that the the special magic juice the cover crop puts off that should have stopped that. I'm like, no, cover crops don't. A little pathy is where they're the similar alleles. So grasses versus broad leaves. I'm like trying to explain this. No, 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 no. They put off some magic juice and potion that, that blocks all weeds. No, it's the, it's actually the matter, like the dry matter and the, the actual like plant material that blocks all the weeds from germinating. It's not the fact that they put off some magic juice that replaces herbicides. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when I post about cover crops, people in like central Illinois are like, I don't know what your problem is getting cover crops established. I'm like, I'm in freaking northern or southern Wisconsin. I was like, I have a 95 day corn. I still actually have sold 90 day corn through 115 day corn in this area. I'm like, it it doesn't make any sense that you can, you know, you plant three different maturities. I plant like 30. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's like on our farm. I mean, we I tried the cover crop, did the rye thing last year, planted corn into it. That corn burned up, made like two and a half ton, chopped. It was worthless. We couldn't even get it to the, the truck behind the chopper. <laughs> and the corn in the next quarter over, because I had a half section, they were connected, planted into wheat stubble that we maintained. The wheat stubble after harvest kept it clean, did a basically, I wouldn't call it chem fallow, but we put down chemical after wheat harvest all through the fall in the spring another pass and then we planted it to corn and that averaged about 75 yeah. so went from super loss of money on the cover crop field where i ended up having more chemical costs than i did on my wheat stubble field with a normal practice and didn't mean it was an insurance loss but it wasn't i mean our aph was 100 there versus you know, raising it to 75 so the same thing I was uh, meeting with a, a like a prospective client the other day and he was talking about the cover crop thing and he's in an area where there's a really heavy cover crop presence and he's just said he's like I, I've tried planting green it just never really works out for me but I keep trying and I'm like why what are you doing that for he's like well but you know they talk about how great it is and I'm like if it doesn't work for you that's fine so that you don't have to do it it's like, just stop doing it then. I have a customer that has wild success with a cover crop program, but I mean, he'll tell you, I have to run it through cows. I have to, the program, I have to incorporate my cattle. And then it frustrates me because he'll call and he'll ask about, you know, what are your yields? I'm like, well, we're not farming. I'm farming for grain. You're farming for cattle. We're not farming the same. Um, you know, what you value out of piece of ground Versus what I do is is completely different. Yeah, and I think 
nine times out of 10, oh, we didn't put any fertilizer down. We didn't do this. We didn't, it's always got manure on it, you know, and that's the struggle I have with some of those guys that are like regenerative and they're just, oh, everybody should be able to do this. No, don't, not everybody has access to manure like you do. You know, it just, it, it's a total game changer. That's the thing. It's, I don't tell dairies the same thing I tell regular grain farmers. It just doesn't work that way because they have a huge source of potassium and calcium and all these micros. And I don't know. It, it just, and that's where I would say the crossover with me and, and retail is my biggest struggle is our dairies are putting a bunch of manure down continuously for years and they're getting sold you know, micronutrients and all these foliar sprays and all these other things. I'm like, you guys don't need this. You have that in the soil. You just keep putting it down every year. Yep. I've, I've taken some soil samples and, and, uh, you know, tried to build starter programs and had to go out and have a loss, you know, not where I've, I've put a product on and and saw no additional gains just to learn from, you know, you got to trust the basics and then build off that. I mean, pig manure there's a couple pig barns not a lot but boy you want to talk about a really awesome balanced approach for our dirt those guys when i go pull a soil sample i mean it's like you can grow 100 bushel corn crop and not put an ounce of anything on <laughs> yeah i mean they, they're the only ones that have a zinc level everywhere else we're just like they they shouldn't even test for zinc out here so you just put a, a column that's blank well because i think what was it two weeks ago we had like the group or whatever. So we do like a mentoring group and there was me. And then there was like the three of you guys from down that way. And I'm like, this is the first time I've ever been in a group where Wisconsin out yields them on corn. This is nuts. Like, yeah. Well, so since, and of course I'm, I would probably be considered young of 38, but we, uh, we had a year where we averaged 170 something on corn couple years ago and my dad you know he called me he goes do you realize this is the first time in my lifetime and probably history that kansas didn't hurt the national average or like our farm didn't hurt the, the national, national average, average on corn <laughs> yeah it was it was incredible i mean we had fields right at 190 and 100 apa that's that's what we plant for i would say we're not happy with it anymore but that's really realistic for what we can average yeah i, I mean i've got areas that I'd say their APH is probably 170. And then there's years where they get 140 bushel corn. There's a year, a few years ago, they got 70 bushel corn. And then there'll be a year they get 225. It's just luck of the draw and how the weather goes. And then well, I got guys got... that can average 200 almost every year. Yeah, it's it's farm rail. I mean, I like to point to those parts of our farm, but we've got fields that, you know, might 70 really, really, really excite this. I mean, we're... Because I don't, I mean, we don't throw all the inputs at it because there just isn't the capability of growing big yields. But I mean, I remember we've got a piece of ground that had the Milo make 84 one year. Dad and I felt like we hit a home run. Like that was the proudest of any of our fields on the farm when we had 140 bushel corn elsewhere. So I've, the only time we ever see any kind of sorghum or anything like that is sorghum sedan grass here. And I mean, I've scouted sorghum fields in Indiana before. But I've never been itchy at harvest like that, so I hear oh, yeah. about I mean, that all the time. But in our in our neighborhood, you probably don't farm if you don't raise a Milo crop. I mean, it's it's our hardy. I mean, corn. We've gone back to more corn just because of the um, harvest window. Um, 
but the Milo is where you're going to grow a crop every year. I mean, that's where we got to go to pay the bills. And then if you got a couple of really good fields, we'll put it to corn and try for, you know, it has more top end yield in a good year. But uh, I mean, last year when the corn was making nothing, a lot of the Milo was still yielding harvestable result. Yeah. Um, it, it does graze better for cattle too. No, uh, do you guys have cotton down that way too? No, that you got to go probably two south. hours south of me. Yeah, yeah, that was. I grew up in you know we had twenty five thousand acres the last year I consulted in Indiana, and uh, there was like twenty five acres of alfalfa in that. Then I come to Wisconsin, and half my acres are alfalfa, and most of it's silage, and I got to know differences between barley oats and um triticale and all this different crap i never really seen oats till i moved here so it was just yeah we grow a lot of that stuff for cattle feed i mean uh there's a lot of dry land alfalfa four ton yield goal i mean you go back to a year like right now and it's bringing 300 dollars picked up at the edge of the field a ton alfalfa is a huge money maker i mean a lot of these guys made two and a half to three ton last year and hit a home run on alfalfa i mean that was I would call a poor yield, and they're like, that was the only thing that made me a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, here, I mean, alfalfa does really well here. I mean, you can get six, eight ton if you're really, really having a good year. Um, but if you sell for 200 bucks a ton and you have fairly minimal input costs, alfalfa is actually a really, really good crop for us yeah. to grow, especially when we can haul it down to you guys when you're really yep. short and – so I think I got a couple guys that are hauling down there right now. So, well, in my area, I wouldn't say there's a few guys that can pull off quality, but we have a hard time pulling the 200 plus, you know, quality alfalfa. Yep. Um, you know, it's too damn dry. I mean, you you swath it. There's days where we swath the alfalfa in the morning and we bail the next night. Yeah, you don't do that here. This year, I had guys asking if the new. Um, new varieties of alfalfa are there's something wrong with them that, that they don't dry down for baling. And I'm like, dude, it's 75% humidity for the last like week and a half guys. It's not going to dry down. Yep. Yeah. It's first cutting for us. is usually tough because it's too wet. And then after that, it's like I said, ridiculous. I mean, I've seen guys go out and swath alfalfa that's knee high and sorry. I've seen guys that had knee high alfalfa, swath it and break it at the same time because it's just too dries out too fast yeah so yeah it's alfalfa is a neat crop i mean i we spray a lot of it but it's all river bottoms it's all 20 acre 10 acre five acres with gates and it's <laughs> ridiculous but you know we get run over by the weevils here so we we get have to run pretty hard and so you guys uh, be spraying pretty soon for weevils on yeah, I mean, I, I just talked to some guys at Great Bend, and they've already got problems, and the alfalfa is just greening up, and we're getting enough freeze action that it's driving the weevil into the crown. And welcome to industry now. Without Lord's Band, we got nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the big thing. We lost that organophosphate deal two years ago, and you couldn't even spray what was in inventory. It was pretty much like, it's banned today, that's it. I know... Uh, there's locations still sitting on it. I mean, we can't even move it. We can't even take it back to a central warehouse. Really? That's it's weird. just sitting right now. And I don't know that there's a plan. I mean, 
I think what industry is trying to do is trying to fight to get it back, but you and I both know that isn't going to happen. No, I mean, same thing. The hick was, uh, we still have dimethoate. Um, I'm trying to think of the one that when I was a kid, there was one they banned in like the early 2000s. I can't remember what the heck that was. Um, it started with a D. It wasn't dimethoate. What the heck was it? I don't remember. Because we had the one gas that they used to fly on and use the shit out of, but that was the nasty, nasty one. I can't even remember what it was. Well, I, my first year is when they banned, um, oh gosh, what Buridan got banned the first yeah, year I was working. That's the one I was thinking of. That was the one you got to use when like rootworms were a problem. You spray it on and it kills them in the ground, even. Well, I mean, we were eating, I mean, there's times where we were. Even running Lore's band through through pivots to kill rootworm. I mean, that's so that was um, that was a management technique that somebody was working on here to try to get. Um, They're putting Lore's band with Y drops to try to kill more rootworms. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I've only been in like full on retail for thirteen years, so I mean it. That part of it before that, I didn't have a clue. We didn't have a sprayer growing up. Um, stumbled into ag retail kind of by accident. Yeah, I I guess when I went to school, so I was in high school for, oh, I, I was going to go in the Air Force, and then I decided I want to be a teacher, and then I worked at, um, we had a Pioneer plant like 10 miles down the road from where I grew up, and uh Worked there in the summer between the first year of college and the second year, and I learned what agronomy was. I mean, I was an FFA, and I showed cattle, did all the other stuff. Grew up in a family farm, and um, I didn't know there was something other than being a farmer. And I just wanted to be an agronomist, and then I worked in ag retail because that was what you did for like 10 years, and that's what I did. And I don't know. My favorite is always the comments they get. How do I, is there like a book or something I can read or watch some videos and do what you do? And I'm like, no, I met with um, my wife's coworker's daughter and she was just, I mean, she doesn't know anything yet. And she's just like, so what do you do? You know, I want to get dirty. I want to get my hands dirty essentially. And she's like, so what school do I go to to get more hands on and like feel like, uh, you, you don't go to school for that. That's what internships and like the first five years of your career are really for. Like you don't just go to school and they're not going to throw you in a field and say, figure this stuff out. Yeah. That's, that's what I've struggled with, you know, hiring and dealing with the, the younger generation in the industry. Um, you know, I feel like if you're half-assed decent, you, you can learn the agronomy side, but the sales side is, you know, I just have the gift of gab. I love talking to people. I, I love cold calling. I love driving up somebody's driveway, knocking on a door. They're working on a piece of equipment. I, of course, where I farm, you know, I, I'm relative. I could speak, but um, I, I really feel like, you know, some of these kids come out and they think that, well, I have a degree, so I know what I'm talking about. And that doesn't, it's hard to build that clout and that relationship on that stem. Yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't know shit coming out of school. Uh, I mean, I grew up on a farm, but I didn't farm. And I showed cattle with my dad. His extent of me learning how to run equipment was I drove the Bobcat for 50 feet. And my dad's like, oh, I'll just do it. I go faster. And, you know, same thing with backing up trailers and stuff. 
But the one thing I wasn't afraid of was I got my CDL the first year. I got my applicator license. So I was spraying, driving tender truck. You know, they make fun of me for backing up because I sucked at it because I never really had too much experience. But, you know, now I'm doing pretty much anything. I can hop in a semi right now. I can hop in a combine, do anything I need to do. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing I think they don't have is they're so... I don't know. I had a lot of kids that would come out of school and they didn't want to get a CDL. And we're like, yeah, we, we require you to get a CDL. And then they would quit and go somewhere else. You know, they just didn't want to have to get a CDL because they didn't want to drive trucks. Yeah. We've, <clears throat> we've got a couple of interns coming in this summer and made it very clear to them that your first month of work is probably going to be soil samples, delivering and tendering. And then once we get through that planting season, then the fun starts, we'll go, you know, we'll go do agronomy stuff. We'll do stand counts. We'll do disease. We'll do, you know, the nuts and bolts. And I'll take them on sales calls. I'll try to teach them a couple products and let them, let them give a spiel to one of my really good customers that, you know, even if they step on their their tongue, he, they're not going to eat them alive. You know, and and uh, but it's like, man, you got to get through it first. You know, my first couple years in retail, I mean, I was working at a co-op, and even my first couple years here. You know, I was more operational than sales and tender truck driving and and running sprayers. Like you said, that really gave me the nuts and bolts. I mean, when you're out spraying a field and you're seeing what you're trying to, you know, kill and that helps. I think, you know, if you're an ag retail and you're a salesperson, you're still technically, you know, you're not the boss, but you're kind of a boss, you know, because you're going to be in charge of when deliveries get made and all this stuff, it helps quite a bit when you can walk up to the applicators and you're like, you know, it's freaking windier than shit today. Make sure you guys do this, this, and this. And, you know, you actually know what to tell them and you can talk to them about what they're doing. And I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've helped guys through issues on sprayers and we've got stuff figured out. Cause we had, you always run into a mixing issue every once in a while, some new product comes out or, Something doesn't want to mix with atrazine, which is always a fun thing, especially when it's dry atrazine. But I don't know. My applicators always just knew we knew what was going on. And then I'd have these new guys come in and they all freaking hate the new guys because they don't know anything. And Well, that's that goes back to one way I've really picked up a lot of customers, not necessarily recently, but when I first got started around here was a lot of guys were buying sprayers. And man, if I... I could follow the spare delivery truck and pick up a customer because I'd roll up to the farm, you know, talk to them about, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? And, and my competition would not help them with loads recommendations. Um, I'd literally be like, okay, give me a field. I'll go scout it. I'll give you a recommendation. Tell me how many gallon per acre, what nozzle and your, and your tank size. And I would text them a load sheet. Yeah. Here in Kansas, would they don't have to, I know in Colorado, you have to have a, um, CCA give you a you know recommendation and a load sheet, but here I mean I'll literally text them. This is what you need to put in your spare in the right order, and these are exact gallons. And I've got multiple customers who still don't make their own loads because I can just text them something on the fly. Um, you know, just that's just a service I provide. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like you always, my work in retail was always about doing the extra things, the stuff no one else does. And, you know, the little things kind of add up over a while. I mean, we, I've got guys that buy their own sprayer and then they look to me for advice and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to watch people get their first sprayer, first self-propelled sprayer, 
And then you're like, wow, you don't know what you're doing. I could help you. But then they want to rely on ag retail to help. And it's like, yeah, they're not going to be there helping you in the middle of, you know, the go time pretty much. That's the nice thing about not working in retail anymore is I have, my spring is so weird. <laughs> the last, this will be my fifth year doing this. Spring is weird when you don't have like tender trucks and people that tell where to go. You kind of like, holy crap, I'm an actual agronomist for once. This is kind of cool. Yeah. And I think that's something where agronomy is so different where I'm at versus where you're at, where we're, I mean, we're so low production, so um, dry. There just aren't very many crop consultants, um, but nobody, nobody will do, you know, like what I'm doing for them, you know, the recommendations yeah. and the, the load sheets and, and uh, um, I mean, it's just like you said, it's an extra service provide. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy though. Like you said, when a guy gets a new rig and he has no idea what's going on and his retailer just walks away cause they're mad because now I'm not spraying it. Yep. That is freaking ridiculous to me because I mean, one thing I've noticed through my years of being in custom app where I'm at, it doesn't matter how many acres I cover, the table's going to refill. Because somebody's going to be 10,000 acres down. And if you can get caught up, you can make phone calls and be like, I can be there tomorrow and somebody will switch their business. Yeah. So I don't, I don't ever feel like I, matter of fact, I would rather everybody be a cash and carry customer. They're a lot easier to get along with. I don't get yelled at. Um, you know, we don't break down. It's, if they break down, it's on them. You yeah. know, and when, when it goes good, they're happy. When it goes bad, they feel like they're somewhat responsible. So I enjoy the cash carry a lot more. I mean, guys will send me Snapchats from the sprayer. You know, I'm seeing this. What do I do? It's like, okay, yeah, you told me six inches and now we're dealing with a foot, you know. So, but when you do it with a custom sprayer and you call them, you're like, well, how much more is that going to cost? <laughs> you, uh, so today was an interesting day. So have, if you lost a customer and, you know, either you fired them which in this case, I fired a guy. Um, have you lost a customer? And then you, in your back of your mind, you're like, that guy has no clue how much I do for them. And then they go somewhere else. And then they're like, holy crap. And the nice thing when I'm not working in ag retail. So if I'm, I was in ag retail and I ignored phone calls and somebody got a phone, you know, you know how it is. I mean, I, I really hate, it's part of the reason why I don't want to sell seeds sometimes is because if I don't do my agronomy job, I've had people call the seed company and bitch about me as an agronomist, not the seed, but the agronomy side. I'm like, I don't want anybody calling the, you want to call and complain, you can call and complain to me and that's fine. But I don't want you calling my quote unquote boss, but I actually like literally blocked this guy's contact family, everything, people that, he's hangs out with everything's blocked and uh today i got a phone call and the the guy who's working with him now is like he doesn't know how he how to even hook up all the electronics on his planner he's like you just did all that stuff he didn't even have to worry about it i'm like yep i kind of figured spring would hit and that's when it, the realization of like what i did would show up and like he didn't know chemicals he doesn't know who where to get this from and where to get that from and i'm like this is gonna be great so you, you know how tough like now that I'm entering the 10 or I'm, I'm in the 10th year almost 11th year of of where I've started my business and and uh, 
you know, you finally got some of those guys that are they're with you a long time and you can Frank. And in the last couple of years, I've had a couple of those conversations with guys, you know, they're, Oh, well, so-and-so's this on this. And can you get down there? And I'm like, this is why I have to be where I'm at. And this is what you're getting from me. And I've had, you know, that conversation with guys and let them leave. And then when they call you freaking out right before season, you know, you're like, I would have been done. We would have, you know, continued what we're doing. Um, it sucks. It's tough for me to bring that up, but you got to remind them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And every once in a while, somebody's just got to figure it out for themselves. It, yeah. it seems like that, you know, maybe the grass isn't always greener somewhere else. And yeah. not very maybe... competitive. I want every sale, but um, I've had to learn, especially in the last couple of years, to let them go eat the grass on the other side of the fence and see if it is greener. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, maturity you know we're the same age so once you hit about 10 years or so then you kind of start figuring that stuff out when you're young and you lose like one guy you're like oh crap i'm gonna get fired well it's taken me a long time to build my business up i mean i moved in we started a brand new location every customer i had including my own father i had to steal from somebody else you know and i struggle i still get jealous of the young salesmen that go and inherit a whole book of business and all they got to do is just continue to maintain um, you know, I had to, I literally had to tell everybody I've had, um, I had to get and think outside the box. One of, one of our upper management people told us one time, you're going to have to think outside the box to grow your business. And I went to Twitter and I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter. Um, not intentional, just get to be friends with guys. They start asking you questions because they trust you. And I never lead off with, Hey, you should buy this for me. It's more of what are you looking for and why? Um, yeah. We've had this conversation too before. One thing I've noticed with ag retail, so there's there's the the lovely products like I mean Helena sells like Hydrohume and all this other bullshit. Um, but then there's like specialized products. Like I was a I worked for a Winfield Co-op for a few years, and Winfield had like Interlock. They had some pretty decent adjuvants. They had some other stuff that was good, you know. And I worked for a different retailer. And they didn't own shit. I mean, their seed company, they sold to another seed dealer or a seed company. Essentially, that that company only makes. Um, so if you're growing like channel, this company will grow it. They contract them, they do it, and then they bag it as channel corn. And same thing with that one retailer I worked at. They basically rebagged everything. You know, they'd select them, crosses and everything. But basically, they were just buying hybrids and then they would bag it for them and so they didn't own that. Their adjuvants were from another company. Their micronutrients were from another company. Basically, they just put their name on it and shipped it out to you. But some retail, like, because we were talking about that 240 you guys have the other day. And it's just, there's some products like that that are great. It, it's fun to find those. But then everybody has, you know, biologicals are big right now. So everybody's got to have their own biological and they're all the same. I mean, it's there's not a lot of difference between biological products anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's something, you know, I've spent a lot of my career before I came to this company, you know, just despising one certain seed company. And But yeah. I always remind my customers, I'm like, I like to joke about it, but they've got good stuff. Everybody's got good stuff or they wouldn't be here. You know, yeah. and they've probably got three or four varieties that work very good on your farm, as do I. Let's find them. We can work side by side. I got no problem with that. I yeah. mean... I 
I have based my business on these guys of I want to be with you long term, not I just need a sale right now. And, you know, if if you're making money growing someone else's seed and, you know, you're buying your chemical and fertilizer for me and making a good living, then I'm happy completely. And I will support you. Yeah, that's being independent is kind of interesting because um, I have guys that are like, well, you're going to tell me to plant this or do this. And I'm like, once you sign that dotted line, pretty much, I work for you. I don't work for the seed companies. I don't work for anybody else. That's it. And then, you know, we'll look at their seed they're currently buying. And I'm like, okay, you bought this alfalfa. Why did you buy this? And he's like, well, it's great. It's it's more leaf hopper resistant. I'm like, all right, well, it's a class, you know, it's a five for fall dormancy, which we like to have a little bit better than that. Our winter survivability sucks if it's under, you know, much over four. We don't like to go over four. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, it's race one of phantomyces resistance, which you guys probably don't have phantomyces down there, but we do. And phantomyces is a bacteria that goes after alfalfa. And then there's three races of it. And I'm like, you have race one resistance, but not two and three. So I'm like, yeah, you, you selected a leaf hopper resistant alfalfa, but you've literally left out all the good stuff. I'm like, how often do you guys have winter kills all the time? I'm like, yeah, that's why you have winter kill all the time. It's like, but yeah, but it yields really well. Yeah. When it's alive, uh, when it dies, not so much. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's certain varieties of that other brand of corn that I don't like that I know need a certain, <laughs> they need a certain um, nutrient, a micronutrient, and it performs really well. And it's kind of funny, you know, when you ask a guy, hey, do you plant brand X? And he kind of looks at you like, why do you need to know that? And then you're like, before they get a breath, you're like, hey, you, you need to apply this because it helps with this. I'm trying to help you. I'm not going to take your seed sales. Yeah, I mean, Tar Spot kind of humbled us here, and we had to learn what brands kind of handle Tar Spot better. Um, there's one that handles Tar Spot a lot better than others, and then you know, within lineups, there's differences too. And there are guys that are so brand loyal; they're just like, as long as it's got that logo on it, that's what I want. And it's like, all right, I know you really want to plant this brand, but. Um, I really want to tell you, do not plant that freaking corn. Well, I planted it for 10 years. I'm like, yeah, that's the worst corn for tar spot we have. I'm like, and then tar spot is, it's one of those, it's the only disease I've ever had that had a huge latency period. So we can have up to 40 days before it, it infects the plant before you can actually see it. And by the time you see it, it's game over. And you got these guys going out three passes with fungicide post tassel. And you're like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Your game's already over. It's just, it's a, it's a different disease. It's, it's been something that you guys don't have yet. It's and you probably won't because you got to have the humidity. We do. Yeah, when we're in such a dry, like how we get a little bit of a tan spot. Um, man, I just, I really don't run into much for corn disease out here. I mean. I've got some guys that put a little bit of fungicide on to help sustainability just because they might be into October, November, sometimes December picking corn. But that's like when you, every when year you for us. Them, <laughs> picking corn last week of August on our farm, but we're we're a different we're a completely different yeah. breed. That's a good thing. Um but you know, I asked the one guy, I'm like, so he calls me and he wants to put on, you know, say headline or whatever, and I'm like you know, we're in 80 to 100 bushel corn, and you're going to spend $25 on an app. I said, what are you trying to accomplish before we go do this? He's like, I got to have a third of my acres make it to December 20th. 
I'm like, really? And he's like, I won't start picking corn until November 1 because we plant 114 day super late. Um, we get past the heat. We catch those evening or those late fall rains. And uh, he goes, just trust me on this. The first year we did it, it flew on some fungicide. I mean, and we're talking, we're spraying the last week of July, first week of August. You know, and I'm already getting the combine out and get ready to pick corn. And he's putting on fungicide. And he told me, he said, you just leave about a third of this field and I'll show you. And huh, it was incredible, the difference. Yeah, hey, that's, harvestability is a good thing. Um, you know, there is, there's that. But the funny thing is most of our data comes from the chemical companies on fungicide and then the university stuff is like, you know, they'll recommend it, but then you look at their data and it's like it break evens most of the time. It's like, that's it. I struggle with the, you know, I'm I graduate from Kansas state wonderful program, but I struggle with the agronomy there because they don't want to pick a side because they don't want to offend anybody in it. You know, because I've asked them about doing studies on some of our products because we've got stuff that we really like and works well. And I would like to see some independent data to help back it up. Well, you know, so we go hire a company and everybody's like, well, all right, you paid for that. Well, the universities won't give us honest data because they don't want to support our company and X company gets mad and never donates anything. Yeah. And I get it, but that's politics in these days. But I really struggle with the universities for that. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, same thing with, um, well, like Pivot Bio. I heard Pivot Bio was making them sign NDAs, so non disclosure agreements. So basically, if the data didn't work, they weren't going to tell anybody. Yeah. What the frick? Yep. That, I was, hey, that Nebraska study shocked the shit out of me. <laughs> well, there is the Nebraska one. I think there was one out of Iowa, but Nebraska's UNL put that one out, and it's like, yeah, it didn't do shit. And then they like reduced the rate of nitrogen. It didn't do what it said it was going to do. They increased the rate of nitrogen. It didn't do it. it. Like nothing worked. There was one out of like eight locations that actually had any positive yield data. Yeah, that was that's that one. You know, when I seen the headline on New Ag Talk, you know, oh Nebraska study pivot by, I'm like, oh great. And you <laughs> click on it, you're like, whoa. I mean, I would have thought they would have just been like, eh, throw the study away. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I remember that Pivot Bio was actually checked by Beck's PFR research a couple of years ago. That data mysteriously disappeared from their website, and it yeah. wasn't overly glaringly a good thing. Yeah, it just that's the struggle. And then you tell farmers, you know, I don't know if I really like that product, or I, I post a TikTok video. I'm like, I, I think Pivot Bio is kind of a. I don't see where they're. I know there's a niche for it. I see it. But I also don't see where you know you put it across all your acres and expect it that it's going to exactly provide 40 pounds of N. And there's so many people that are just like, my whole freaking farm's pivot bio, it paid. And then you got the other guys that are like, I don't trust that. And it, that's the thing I, I think farmers struggle with. And that's why I like to do what I do is like somebody who isn't afraid to voice an opinion. You know, I'm going to get flamed for it. That's fine. I'll take the cover crop guys yelling and screaming at me. That's fine. I, I don't hate cover crops, but, you know, I also want them to make sure they're telling people like actual stuff that's going to happen. I mean, there's times where you, you would think cover crops are just going to fix every problem on your farm. And I'm like, no, it's going to create more, um, more often than not there there's, it's not like you just plant cover crops and you're, it's like you go out there and do the same thing you always do. It's not like that. 
And well, it's that dad, dad gets on me all the time because I turn our whole damn farm into a test plot. I mean, with <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people dog on field view, but I can go out and do foliar trials and oh, not yeah. even tell a damn person. I've got I got three fields opened up right now, waiting for a better day for me to finish my foliar trials. You know, I've got I got the intentions of splitting six fields foliar with copper on wheat. May not help a damn thing, but it's low on our soil tests, and that's um, yeah, that's one thing I want to go out and do this year: some copper on wheat. Um, I mean, that's all right. I went out and bought a essentially the whole sprayer setup after monitors and GPS and everything. It's going to be like twenty grand, but if we get some good data out of it, and the nice thing for me is I can go out with a deer monitor and be able to track it, yep. and then I just give me your yield map, and then yep. I can just overlay the yield map. I don't want to go run around with a freaking way wagon. I I, yeah, I, and I, I think if I'm going to do, and I've, I've picked these fights on Twitter and with some people that I work with, and if I'm going to go do a test plot, I'm going to do a way wagon. I don't trust the field view for that, but if I'm going to split a field in half, I'm just looking for relative. I don't need exact, um, yep. you know, if, if I can see two bushel yield on six fields, I'll call it a two. But, you know, it might be one here and a three there, but, you know, it's, I'm looking for relative wins, not absolute, but, and then dad'll get mad because we'll run the trial. We find a product we like, and then we'll want to do the whole farm the next year. And I'm like, I want to do another trial again because of, you know, our, our relative farming conditions. He's like, well, we know that works. I'm like, it worked last year. That doesn't mean it always works. Well, I, you know, as good as I do that, there's not one single like farming app that actually does everything. I've got guys that are like, I don't need you to soil sample. I have climate. I'm like, cool. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Drop pins? I, you don't get to do what I do in climate. There's a reason why I spend $2,500 a year for the program I use. That's the way it is. Yeah. It's, I like the, like I said, just for the tracking ability. I mean, yeah, it's on Deere Ops Center will do the exact same thing. I, I get that. And I, that works for those guys. Um, but most of my guys are, we just got into equipment that have yield bonders. I mean, come on, we're out and all the shit you guys got done using 10 years ago, we're just buying and it's new to us. <laughs> you need to come to Wisconsin. I got guys that still look back and go, I think that one was better than the last one. Oh, it's, it was <laughs> the yield monitor is the window behind the cab. But well, we <laughs> bought a, we bought a combine like eight years ago and, and it was like the model before field view worked and, I was seeing enough guys on Twitter that were using it in similar. So I had to buy like three sets of harness for mag express. So we finally got where it all talked. <laughs> and when I'll... you call people with field view and they ask you what you have and they're like, well, that doesn't work in there. And like, I've been mapping for five years and it works. So let's move on to the next problem. What do you guys have? Uh, CR 9060. New okay. Holland. So yeah. it's a 2008, but it's got basically a pro 300, which is a toy of a monitor, but Pro That's 300. Funny. Is that PF three thousand? You mean or no? It's a, it's it's the same as a Case IH Pro. It's an Intelliview four, but it's the same it as a, a Pro three hundred. You mean six hundred? No, my screen's like that big. Okay, that's an Intelliview four. We had an Intelliview four, and that was it's, it. It was before the 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 uh, Pro six. Okay, so it's a uh, it's funny. Like my iPad's got twice the screen, you know, and <laughs> oh, you but I can move like. We used to watch like all the you know stuff on the combine. Now we can watch like engine load, fuel usage, um, sieve, rotor, all the losses, and then mm -hmm. we can move all the 
shit over the iPad. You know, we have one combine running and keep track of bushels, you know, on the trucks, in the bin, acres, all that stuff. Yeah. And dad loves it. I mean, he was funny the first year was in there. I mean, spent half the harvest just getting it to work and keep it working or for him to change the damn field. And now it's like he won't harvest if it's not working because I can't keep track of my bushels and I don't know what's on the truck and we're not going to send a truck to town hit. Yeah, I think the first New Holland I drove was a CR6090. So it was uh, 2012. And the last one was uh, 6.90 or whatever the heck the new ones are. That had the... Um, well, the intelligent flow or whatever, I can't remember what CNH calls that, but where you would just, it's weird because the joystick isn't, you know, you push it forward and it stays forward, and you pull it back, it's yep. actually like you push it forward and then it comes back to neutral and you're like, whoa, what did I do? Well, and it's, I think it's CP speeds up and slows down the combine on loading. It's, it's got like a climate yep. or, a, or a cruise Case, control yep. kind of, like it, it bases the flow rate. You could set what you wanted to kind of start at. And then it kind of goes faster or slower based on flow rate. And it's, yeah. it's funky. It's, it's weird to drive the first couple of times, but I don't know when I got the handle of it, I had a hundred acres. So one day it worked out pretty slick. Yeah. I haven't even ran one of those yet. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm drinking the Kloss combine Kool-Aid off of Twitter. And that may <laughs> be the direction we go next. You're going to have joysticks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just the throughput and, all that yeah, stuff. They, I will say that uh, that's better. the The rear ladder's kind of different, but I mean, if you if you break one, you just go to Menards buy another one. I'm fat and short. I mean, to be able to take the ladder anywhere, that <laughs> sounds great to me. Yeah, I I've driven a a couple of class or cat combines. I've driven shit. I think one day I I jumped jumped in a eighty one. Or an eighty ten case eighty ten combine. Never drove one of those before. Never used auto steer to combine with before. And I hopped in and I was running no problem. Like it just, I just did it. And I yeah, uh, I went on harvest in 06, but that was the like the last year, the twenty three eighty eight, the twenty five. We had one twenty five eighty eight in twenty three skins. Um, that was quite an experience. But I mean, we were still all hand driven, all mechanical combine. I mean, but that was it was neat to see the country. Yeah, it's something I'd love to do for about a day or two. That'd be kind of cool. I, cool I for about two months. The third month sucked. I was a full-time farmer for a year. And after that year was over, I was like, you know what? I'm okay. I'll, I'll take drink carting at night on the weekends when I feel like it. That's fine. Now I don't even have time to do that. I'm just soil sampling like crazy and doing field boundaries. and We... Wheat harvest used to be Christmas for me. I mean, I could give a shit about the rest of the year. I mean, <laughs> I I think I was like seven or something, and I was playing outfield and baseball, and my dad and his boss drove the TR-70s through the edge of town by the baseball field. And I had my back, my game that night, so I couldn't go to the field. And mom said I sat down and pouted, wouldn't play the rest of the game because I wanted to go cut wheat. <laughs> and uh, I don't – she said you never played baseball again because you remembered that. But uh, wheat harvest was always like, just Christmas. And when I got skin in the game, I hate wheat harvest. <laughs> I mean, it's, we got a storm coming. The wind's blowing at hundred degrees logistics. Um, we used to fight over who would run the combine. Now, I mean, it really doesn't matter. We've all got tasks. We got to get done, but uh, fall harvest is a lot less stressful. I mean, more bushels generally, but um, 
we've got a month to get it over with. I mean, wheat harvest, we need to get that seven to ten days because you got a hailstorm coming or, you know, the wind's yep. starting to shatter and just, I don't know, It's I struggle with that. It's like, man, I just, I hate that I hate it because I know how much I used to love it. Yeah, I I, uh, I remember I first harvest, that was like, that was the most fun I probably ever had in my life. And now it's just like, I, I like harvest. Um, the one thing I used to hate spring in ag retail just because there was always that Monday morning you showed up and it was just freaking all of a sudden it's go time. You know, you get like two phone calls. Some I worked seven days a week in spring, but you never get those phone calls on Sunday. Everybody waits till Monday morning when the office opens to call your yep. cell phone. It's like, why do you wait? I would have been here yesterday. I could have had it to you yesterday. Yep. I, I've gotten to the point where I'll, I'll start sending out text messages like one o'clock on Sunday, like. Hey, tomorrow is going to be an absolute shit show. If you need something, I need to know today so I can plan ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, I hear you. I I like running a sprayer in ag retail because for me, that's where I can get away from the hell. <laughs> but then I sit on top of the hill for hours talking on the phone, not getting any spraying. Yeah, that's when so, I my first headset. I mean, I bought a Plantronics Legend, and that was uh, that was great because I could still spray and do everything else and talk on the phone. So I didn't get like stuck somewhere, and I, I wear uh, blue parrots now just because they're just twenty four hour talk time is nice. I mean, my legends I had to have two of those because I would burn out of one by like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and everybody That's... makes fun of me for having a blue parrot thing, and I'm like, I, dude, like there's days where I talk on the phone seven hours a day. You know, like it's oh, yeah. Just, it, my wife went with me on a delivery one time and she always tells her friends like in our self because we don't we don't have any people so we don't have cell phone towers because they're going to service people but we went down to the river south of here like 20 miles and we were delivering and it was a sunday afternoon but i was like i'm gonna do these deliveries to get ahead of monday we're gonna run down drop the shit come home and it took us like two and a half hours to drive five miles because i had to stop at the top of every hill and talk to people <laughs> and she was so mad we got home and it's like this is where I okay. I make my living in two and a half months. Yep. So I'm sorry, but this is what I have to do. Yeah, I feel like absolutely worthless right now because I know it. The the big rush is coming, and like today we we had a foot of snow over the weekend. I got an inch of rain coming the end of the week, so we're not going to be doing a bunch of deliveries. I got schools are on spring break right now, so everybody's on vacation. Just we're not going to be able to do stuff this week. And I know next week I got seed deliveries and everything else. But this week I feel like an absolute dirtbag because I'm going to be sitting in the office trying to get office stuff done. But if I don't do that, then I'm going to try to do that in the middle of delivering everything. And you just, there's highs and lows. Everyone's, oh, yeah. Every year I'm ready for break. Like December, I'm like, oh, this is great. I get some time off. I get to relax, go home every night. And then about March, I'm like, I hate this. I want to go back to work. Let's well, that's, I just bought a new to, new to us for a little over, well, like right at a month ago and had to wait for two weeks to stream a hundred acres of fertilizer. And I got to scratch the itch and play with a little bit. Then I had to park it. And I just started running wheat last week, you know, and I still got that new itch. And I just keep telling myself, I'm like, in a month and a half, you're going to hate that freaking thing. <laughs> so you'll get the opportunity to scratch the itch and it'll go away, you know, and I've ran, 600 acres over the last week with it but there's still i mean i'm still learning it um enjoying it you know and it's 
trying to tell myself to calm the hell down because like you said, it's going to be, it's on now when it's warm, but that'll wear out quickly. And this winter I was the same way. You know, usually I've got all these projects in the winter. I'm going to build this, fix that, do this, do that. And this winter I was like, I ain't doing a freaking thing. I'm going to go home, spend time at the house, you know, enjoy, you know, being with my wife and everything. And, and, you know, the other day she's kind of like, are you, you can go to the farm? Cause I'm yeah, she's getting tired of being. <laughs> yeah. I always have projects and then about March 1st rolls around. I'm like, Oh shit. I probably had to get some of those done. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've really kind of felt super lazy, but you know, I was just so burned out after the last two years of just nonstop and, and I'm, I'm fired back up. I'm ready to rock. It's, I'm not well, ready, but I mean, it's time to go. The people older than me in ag retail, they talk about the days of, you know, you could only do pre and corn. There was no like post herbicides other than like atrazine. So they, you know, basically all the corn got sprayed pre beans were early. You know, you put a pre down and then you came back early post and that was it pretty much. And then you had to go out and, and you, uh, you walk beans, you know, with a freaking, um, bean hook and you pulled the weeds and so basically it was like rush everything got planted everything got sprayed and that was it and then when i started it was like the cusp of we were doing citrus nitrogen with you know spinners and then we started getting y drops and then you know then we were spraying some fungicide and then now we got tar spot and some of these other things it's literally like i don't stop scouting fields from april 1st until the almost harvest it's just insane yeah there's a, a buddy of mine on twitter john slesser we like pick that fight with people of you know we run our spurs 10 months so we don't we when people are like oh spare season's over like yeah, season, there's no that. season <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know we're pretty easily 10 months sometimes it's 11 i've ran my spare 12 months of the year before you know doing things i mean not necessarily had to but we might be fertilized. Like last year, I put all of my fertilizer on in November and December for the growing season because that's when the nitrogen price started to take off. And we actually had cash. So we bought it, put it on, got ahead of the game. But I remember one day it was snowing like hell and I'm out there streaming and people are calling me like, what are you spraying? And I'm like, I'm putting on nitrogen. And if you've got cash, you probably should be too. You know, normally that isn't a bright thing to do. And I know I lost some of it, but, you know, with the economics, it was just a thing. And but yeah, there is no there is no spray season here. I mean, I put my sprayer away last year in November and didn't even wash it. And then we bought the different sprayer, just happened to come across exactly what I wanted and got it bought. Then I'm like, oh, I got to get the old one out and change all the fluids and wash it so I could sell it. Because I just put it away thinking I was going to you know do all that in the spring. And Yeah, problem is in February it was 50 degrees by you, so you could actually do that. Well, I power washed it the other day. It was 50, but it was blowing 52. That made it real fun. <laughs> Parked up next, like I was eight feet away from a windbreak. Yeah, I. it's funny. So where I grew up in Indiana, so that side of the lake, we get hailstorms, like big hailstones, not like you guys' big hail, but we get, we get decent hail. Hail enough that it'll defoliate corn when it's fully grown and we get, you know, wind, and I know what green snap looked like because I've seen it. This part of the country, we don't get green snap. Guys get like 2% green snap, they get fucking excited. And where I grew up, it's like 5%. It's like you don't even bother calling the insurance. It's not worth it. Here, it's like 1%. And they're like, what's wrong with your corn you sold me? I'm like, you know, it's just, 
I don't even, if, if I go out and count 10%, I'll start to get excited, but yeah, I'm not going to less. Well, to, to get 1% here, you better have sprayed it. Like to actually have that happen, you have to spray it with like unsafe and dicamba the day before, and it was 95 degrees and humid as hell. And then yeah. you get a 50 mile an hour wind. We had, a, rare. we had some like 80 bushel corn like three years ago that was like growing the, most of the season. Like it, it was growing like this. And then when it shot a tassel, it was straight up and down because it was all goosenecked from just weeks and weeks of storms just abusing it. And when we were picking that corn, I remember my dad called me and he goes, this is so depressing. He's like, I need a day away. So I took a day of vacation, went out and ran the combine and he'd be picking and he'd be realize you're one row off. So you'd switch a row. And I did not know you could throw corn ears with a corn stout. I mean, just like chucking corn ears, like 50, 50 yards with a corn head. Cause you just switched one row over. I mean, it's, yep. they come up and smack the windshield. And you think it's going to take the windshield out. <laughs> yeah. The only time I've ever seen something like that we had, um, so now we don't, we haven't had a whole lot of confirmed resistance on rootworm, but we have overall pressure is just nuts. And I think 2019, essentially the university came out and said, we think rootworm is like gone forever. They, they, every year it's lower and we get less and less. Problem is rootworms kind of adapted here. It's, we have later emerging rootworms every year. So they're, when they were doing their beetle trapping, they were catching the early flush, but not the late flush. So they missed that. And then we had at that time in 19, we had just come off of like three incredibly wet seasons and springs. And it, it just really threw them for the loop. So essentially they thought rootworm's gone. And then within two years now we have fully traded corn that I got to put insecticide on. It's insane. Well, we get a little bit of rootworm here in the corn on corn on corn, but you go west to be in the irrigated, it's a whole different ball game. But I mean, I can, you know, we're planting 14 to 18,000 and with smart stacks, we can, we're getting some damage, but it's not terrible. I mean, but uh, I can't imagine that like scouting for rootworm just sounds freaking terrible. <laughs> I did a uh, field last year. I put rootworm traps in. I had to put marking flags to get to where the traps were because the corn was so many different directions. I couldn't even remember, you know, there was no rows anymore. You're just walking on stocks the whole time. You got yeah. like, I think I averaged on those traps at one point, I think I had like 150 to 200 rootworms a week in each one of those traps. I mean, it's just nuts. That's what I find fascinating about, you know, when you talk about crop consulting, because I guess crop consulting here is, is kosher up, is mare's tail up, and do you have palmer pigweed? I mean, that's that's all you're doing. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's crop consulting in Western Kansas. I mean, here it's, it's tar spot, rootworm. It's you got to know all these different like forage crops. And yeah, see, I'm terrible with diseases because I don't have to. I mean, I'm sending pictures to like reps and they're like, well, this is that. And don't you know that? No, I don't. It's the first time I've ever seen it. And they're like, have you not been out in the field? I'm like, every year but it's road i mean it's nice common rust what the hell's wrong with you yeah. <laughs> we're pretty you uh we're I mean, most acres are rotating yeah. do you guys get gosses wilt and corn uh very rarely i've, I've yeah. i haven't seen it but i've had buddies around me that have but you go west of me two hour hour and a half in the irrigated yeah they 
That's all they talk about is Goss. For it. Yeah, you go out by Colby and Hoxie. They, you know, they talk about the Goss score all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I put it on wheat stubble. I'm not worried about. We don't Goss. Goss's will is not bad here. You get south and west of us, right around like Dubuque. So, the corner of Wisconsin and northeast corner of Iowa. That's where it starts, kind of. Um, you get down in some of the Janesville, right along the Illinois state line. I've seen it, but it's never too bad. But yeah, we're like on the edge of that kind of stuff. So like tar spot is weird for us because we have never had a disease just absolutely explode over the top of us like that before. So. Yeah. You know, it's something that like you hear consultants west of me, you know, Oh, spider mites are coming and I'll mm-hmm. scout for it. And they're like, you know, the nastiest thing ever. And I'm like, man, I think I'd just boot the shit out of me. If I was walking in the field and found them, because I've never seen them before, you know, and they're all talking about these little mites, you know, get all over you. And they're like, so do you just not scout fields? And I'm like, yeah, but we don't, it's too dry. It's too hot. We got 16,000 population. I mean, they're just, there's a lot going on out there except for burning up corn. Yeah. Spider mites and beans are bad here. We don't, you'll see it in corn, but it's yeah. never an issue. But yeah, 2012, we sprayed three times for spider mites and beans. Mm-hmm. And the sucky thing is, so if you want to talk about the Lorsman ban, that was like our main go to weapon. We used Lorsman and cobalt like it was going out of style. And then we ran out of that. Then we used dimethoate. And then we used, uh, oh, some generic bifenthrin. And the problem with spider mites is outside of like uh, zeal, which is an actual miticide. Yep. Most stuff, you know, you kill the, the eggs, but you don't kill the adults. And you, sometimes you kill. You kill the adults, but not the eggs. And sometimes you only kill the nymphs and then you know, the current flush, but not the adults. And it's, uh, yeah, you, I, I kind of, the next time we have some spider mites, I kind of want to try some zeal, but we don't really get much zeal up here. Yeah. I, I think that's what they run a lot, you know, the between yep. by fencer and zeal out West, but I just don't have, like I said, much experience. We get, we get some aphids and mites and alfalfa, but not usually a treatment level. Well, and I think the struggle, um, so there's there's some guys in Wisconsin that have really good networks in Wisconsin, but when you start talking about, like, across the country, so right now I'm talking to somebody from Kansas. Tomorrow I'll be talking to somebody from central Iowa, and the next day I'm talking to somebody from New York, and, you know, I talk to people all over the country, and we get ideas on stuff, and, you know, if something came up so let's say we got spider mites i don't think there's going to be a lot of people that know really what zeal is and then we use um last couple of years we've been kind of playing around with steward the new insecticide so it's a new mode of action for insecticide it's it's got really good activity on on emerge uh rootworm beetles and yeah not a lot of guys that know about it you know and it's just that's the thing i think if you get stuck in uh, i farm i consult or whatever i work in wisconsin that's what i want to know about I think you kind of miss out on what's going on everywhere else so that when something new shows up, we kind of have an idea what's going on. I mean, yeah. tar spot, I knew about it, but we did nuts. I had seen it. I have a picture from the year before it was bad here where I didn't even know I was taking pictures of tar spot. I was just taking pictures of like plants that had tar spot on them. And um, it's like, holy crap, it was here. We just didn't know. Yeah. Well, that's uh 
like you brought up Stewart, you know, we ran it. There's a lot of people around us that ran it for a couple years, but I'm a real big try to just sit back and let other people learn, make mistakes, and then try to learn from that. But we ran for the first time last year, you know, and you call, you're like, okay, what do I need to put in with it? And they're like, oh, no, you just need to run Stewart. And I came out of central Kansas where we thought we had pyrethroid resistance. We did not. It was people waiting too goddamn long to get it on. Um, and so, you know, Stewart, I've been trying to preach to customers, you know, it doesn't have like a, an incredible knockdown. Like we need to get it on ahead of time. And if we put on enough rate, your residual will carry you through that first cutting. And that really had to struggle with that. Cause I just, in my mind, I can't see it doing that, but it, that's what we've experienced. That's how it has worked. Yeah, if you've got issues with, yeah, like you said, with, um, well, early season stuff in alfalfa that the residual on Stewart is supposed to be really, really good. Yep. Like weevils it should control that pretty well. Yeah, we last year was the first time I used it. The fields that I did not put Stewart on, I retreated. The ones that I did, I did not retreat. And okay. that's gonna be my go-to program this year. It's it's costly, but like I'm telling these guys, if you have no risk of running a second application, it's a win-win. Because the problem is by the time we decide to pull a second application, we've lost. You should be cutting it too anyway. Well, and yeah, and we've lost a lot of tons. Yeah. So yeah, we our struggle with like Stewart is my dairies look at I've got dairies that spray every crop of alfalfa with a pyrethroid because it's cheap. I mean, it's just the way it is. And then you don't have to worry about leaf hoppers. Well, you know how it is. I'll go out and spray it and I don't even scout for them. I just spray every crop. But, you know, if I turn the corner and I don't spray the corners, you could see it. It's all yellow. I'm like, yeah, because every leaf hopper that, you know, survived went to the corner. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, but eventually we're going to have pyrethroid resistant leaf hoppers. So then what are we going to yeah. do? We don't have organophosphates anymore. So stewards yeah. about it. We don't just in this part of the world, we don't get much. We don't use hardly any diomethate. I mean, when I was at the co-op in Central Kansas, we were putting it in, but diomethate doesn't do hardly shit on Weevil. We were running it. I mean, it might be one of those things where it was synergistic like an atrazine and another tank mix, but... The methoate is... It's stinky shit. Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, it wasn't stinky when we were running Lorsband, so... Yeah. Yeah. Lorsband had its place, but I th- I know they said that, like, the food residue was really bad, but Lorsband's longevity is really short. I mean, that was a... If you had something that had an issue and you need a seven-day spray restriction for, hey, you go out and spray Lorsband because anything else is two weeks. You, you know, it's just... Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was well. I, what I liked on a on a good, humid, calm day, you could just see that stuff hang over the field, and you knew you just killed everything. Well, now the wind blows here every day, but if we had that opportunity, I mean, we were getting mowed over by grasshoppers year in, year out. The last five, that was the only thing that would work. I mean, we can go put down a lambda, like a, you know, grizzly or or a lamb cap warrior, but they have to eat it, they have to process it, and they die, and it works, but. They're still going to do a lot of damage in between. I mean, there was a couple summers ago, we were bordering every hay and grass field floors band. I mean, just sucked. It's all we did. We sprayed thousands of acres one lap. Yeah. Tell you what, Southeast Wisconsin, we'd kill for those kind of acres. That's that's like gravy. <laughs> oh, no, this was all like 15-acre patches. You did one lap around it. You sprayed most of it, but you guessed acres and we just fill a sprayer up. We'd go spray for 10 guys. I mean, 
But I mean, it was they did kill the alfalfa twenty feet in. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't forget, you're talking to a guy that's got a thousand fields over a thousand fields map, and it's fifteen thousand acres. <laughs> that's <laughs> like in, in our division. Like you, they start talking field sizes, and when we say what we have, everybody just looks at us like we're like plague. Because I mean, we're probably like forty eight acre field average size on you know whatever we spray hundred thousand acres a year and and uh you know you get outside of i i tendered a guy when i first started you know an hour southwest of here and we sprayed 800 acres and we were in three fields yep it's like i was like i told him that one time i'm like can you just go to a different field so i could see something different instead of parking <laughs> in the same driveway all day yeah i I know, like you see the applicator awards, and there's always somebody with like seventy thousand acres. Like, what the hell? My best guy was twenty. You know, it's like yep. Jesus. Oh, we run into that too. I mean, yeah, I I'd make the joke like I've had a thousand acre day like three times on my farm, but I was so freaking worthless for two days after that because it was like seventeen or eighteen or whatever fields, and you filled up forty times, and you're in and out to refill, and it's like. I'd have been better just to slow cruise 700 acres, you know, in a row for days, you know, and <laughs> 500 acre day in Wisconsin's a big day yeah. for a retail guy. We honestly, 500 acres here is a good day. If you do it day in, day out, I mean, we'll have sevens yeah. here and there, but the same thing. I mean, only that driver was out seven in the morning till like 11 at night and then we're burned. I mean, we might do that if a storm or wind's coming. When I first started my applicators, I had, they were there before I would even probably get out of bed in the morning and they would get back in the dark every yep. day. They would do that for like two, three weeks. And now you're lucky if the guy shows up at eight o'clock sometimes. And yep. then at yep. five o'clock, they're like, I got beach volleyball tonight, which is an actual excuse. I got one time and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We're in the middle of spring. We're busier than hell. Not, I got to quit at five. I got beach volleyball tonight. It's that's the industry now, and I've I really struggled with it. I've had to teach myself that nobody's going to run at the same pace that I do, but mm. they also don't have the same motivation that I do. I mean, they're not getting their ass chewed by the customer, but at the same time, I've found that if I just push them, then their wives are going to make them quit, and you're looking for somebody else. So, yeah, you find a way to deal with with that. I mean, you try not to let them abuse it, but at the same time, I mean, I'll if we go five six days straight spray, and I'll just ask a rig driver, I'm like, hey you want to go home at five and try to eat supper with your family and I'll run the sprayer. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. that was stuff we would do. I had a guy, um, say my last year, one job, I had a guy, his dad was had terminal cancer and he was showing up at seven 30, you know, everybody else is there at six that morning. And then, then about nine o'clock, he like left the shed with a tender driver. And then they come back because they forgot to get coffee or some shit. And it's like, you know, and then he sits me down and he's all upset about it. he doesn't get to see his dad. And I'm like, all right, dude, give me a solid effort. Come in at seven o'clock. You know, you're ready to go at seven. You get done spraying at five thirty, six o'clock. I'll get you out of here then. Every day you could do that. And then I'll give you Sundays off. You know, you don't have to work Sundays. The rest of us will work. I'll hop in a sprayer, whatever it is. It's like you just got to give me a solid effort and 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 give me what I need. I'm like, I just need you to get in a couple hours earlier and then we'll get you out of here. So you can go see your dad and spend time with him. You know, nothing changed. He'd show up at eight o'clock. He'd, he'd forget something. I mean, it's just like, dude, all you had to do is this. And then he was mad at me all year. I'm like, 
you know, I'm trying to get you out of here. You know, we'd give them every other Sunday off or something, at least to try to keep them happy. But it's just like, if you show up at seven o'clock, spray till five, which is essentially what you're doing now, but just an hour or so earlier. And then you work most of the day Saturday, I get you out of here. And then you can go to church with your dad and you can spend the whole weekend with them. I don't give a shit. You just got to work and just couldn't change it. That's, and that's younger guys. And that was, that's the industry. You know, that's what, like, I don't, I don't need to send them a text every time I go into the plant or, you know, I've, I've struggled with some of the guys who are like, well, you're never here. And I'm like, well, you didn't see when I, I did leave at four and I went and sprayed and I got done at 10 and I came back and I did deliveries until midnight or one o'clock or worked. I have severe ADD. I need the office to be quiet, to do billing. You know, I'll come in in the evening when it's quiet, throw on some music and knock out all my computer work when it's, you know, quiet in there. And, but, uh, you know, or I come in at Sunday, I tell all my customers, I'm like Sunday mornings, or for church and I eat lunch with my family, I will meet you at the plant at 1.30. You better be there at 1.30. I'm going to be there till maybe three and then I'm not coming back. But, and I don't I tell the guys, I'm like, I don't announce that to you. You don't need to know I'm there, but understand that, you know, our workloads are different and I'm going to handle that so you can have that day. Or else, if you want to throw a fit about it, we're going to start taking turns. Well, I had, I was uh, the last retailer I worked at. I was the only guy I worked like all the time. I mean, Memorial Day weekend, I worked the whole weekend. And Saturday at noon, everybody else went home. The funny thing is we were like the main central seat location for our like region of Wisconsin. And I'd get a phone call at like four o'clock on Saturday in the afternoon. Hey, I got a guy coming for seed. Uh, he'll be there in like an hour and a half. Like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, we all, like, basically, they just knew I worked all weekend. Like, well, one, I'm an hour away. I'm not driving back. Well, I said, you got the key. Like, the key that you have that opens your front door opens my front door. So just come open the door. Well, I'm at, like, a picnic and blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm not your bitch. My job is not to sit there and wait for your customers. My job is, you know, I'm working because my guys want me to. and. I don't want you to like you think that I'm just going to help your customers all weekend. I'm like, that's not my deal. Yeah, it's, that's retail. I mean, it's taken me a long time to learn how to tell people no. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, but I mean, in the last season, like, you know, I'd have guys like, man, I really need to be rolling Sunday morning. I'm like, well, we were there all freaking day Saturday. Yeah. And I will be there at 1 30. Well, man, I really need a load of starter. I don't give a shit. I'll see you at 1 30. Click. I mean, you know, I don't want to be rude, but I got to have those six hours between, you know, I'm going to sleep till nine. I'm going to go to church and then I'm going to eat lunch with my family. You know, I we a, always do that every Sunday. My favorite one is I had a guy, we sold some potash to in fall one year and it, it was a cheap price. My boss wanted to get on this guy's farm and I'm like, he's just going to price shop us. He's only buying it because it's cheaper. And I'm like, next year he'll go somewhere else, whoever's cheapest. And I called the guy like December 23rd and I said, all right, here's the deal. You know, or no, I, I think I called him. It's been a Friday where it's like the 22nd or something. And I'm like, all right, here's the deal. We're not working this weekend because Christmas is on Monday and my guys are all, you know, they're off this weekend. I'm like, you know, I know it's a late harvest this year. You know, we're going to spread fertilizer today, but if you need fertilizer, you got to let me know by five o'clock today or else we're not coming in to deliver fertilizer for you tomorrow. And um, he called me December 24th. So I think like Sunday, he's like, I need fucking fertilizer. Why aren't you guys there? 
you know, everybody's still spreading fertilizer. I'm like, dude, I called you. You, you didn't answer your, you didn't want to take a load. I would have brought you a tender truck and parked it there and let you run it all weekend. I don't care. And he's like, I, 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 I'm like, just because your family hates you, that's that I have to come to work. Yeah, that's, that's ag retail for you. I mean, it's kind of funny. We joke, I've got three or four customers and love them to death. They're good friends, but you call them Friday evening or Saturday morning and you're like, hey, we're, we're leaving at two on Saturday. What do you need? Well, I was going to come in after lunch. I'm like, Ed, we'll be here till two. That means the door <laughs> closes at two. Or, you know, hey, can I just bring you this? What do you need? You know, oh, I better go inventory the trailer. It's five on a Friday. I mean, are you just starting to farm for the week? <laughs> That's equipment dealers. I mean, God, there's uh, here at least the John Deere dealer like locally. If you need anything after five o'clock on Friday, you got to call. They have one location that's open Saturday and Sunday. They have a location that will be open, but it's only the parts counter is only open and they're only open from like eight to noon. And other than that, five o'clock on Friday, if you break down at six o'clock on Friday, you're screwed. Yep. And that's I've struggled with that with, you know, being a weekend or evening or late night warrior. I mean, I've got a, the company that takes care of my sprayer just bends over freaking backwards for me. And I asked them, I was like, so what's the deal? I mean, you cannot provide the level of service that you provide to me to everybody. And they go, well, we tried to, but you talk to a lot of people as well. I'm like, oh, well, okay. For once in my life, my big mouth got <laughs> me somewhere because it's always just caused me problems. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's so I told dad with sprayer upgrade. I'm like, we have to get a sprayer that's reliable because I cannot get off at five and you have 300 acres of Milo in the ground because the wind's blue. And I go out there and I have an electric problem and I can't spray. You know, I got to have something reliable. I can jump in and run till midnight because I do all of my spraying outside of business hours. Yeah, I've had um, I've had farmers that were so happy with an applicator. They gave them like a bonus at the end of the year. And uh, one guy gave the guy a check and the guy told me and I was like, oh, that's fine. Uh, technically, you know, even though you sprayed his acres this guy tendered you and that guy tendered you and I did this. And I'm like, what you should do is I said, you'll buy him, buy him a Milwaukee tool, whatever, get him, you know, buy the farmer half of what the value of that is. And I said, and then take the rest of the people location out for dinner or something. You know, it's just, I never liked farmers giving me bonuses. I had a couple that would try every year, uh, literally ones that would like give me the check and say, do not give this back to me or else I'll go somewhere else. Yeah, and I think we come up with creative things. Like one year, we we had custom Carhartt jackets with their name, like farm logo and names on them, made for them, and you know, just little stuff like that. But you know, I always took about half and gave back to the employees. And I think that's a thing that's lost. Is um, I know a lot of younger guys that just didn't take care of the people at the location. For me, like you know, hell, I can go to Little Caesars and buy t- you know four pizzas for forty bucks. And do that every couple of weeks or, you know, if we work Saturdays, every Saturday morning we worked, I brought in breakfast from McDonald's. I'd go and buy $20 at, at that time worth of breakfast sandwiches and bring them in. And, you know, if we worked on a holiday, I'd buy everybody lunch that day. It just, yeah, little stuff you, like that makes a difference. If if we have a good week of spray and man, I, I'll, I'll look like I'm throwing a party. I'll go in the liquor store and I know what every <laughs> one of the employees wants. And I usually like, Hey, I put something in your car. You don't touch that till you get home, but thank you. Yep. You know, and 
And it's always funny because, like, I would say they come to expect it, and they should. You know, like, I'm always like, hey, Fridays, I'll be like, how many acres you get this week? You know, and it's like me probing <laughs> for, did you do good enough so you can get a taste of beer? You know, or what? I mean, and, and I'm fine with that. I mean, yep. And that's anytime that they're anytime they're performing well, I don't get my ass chewed. You know, and that's what I hate about custom application. And I, I just do not take ass chewings well. I mean, I've I've got a couple of my best customers. I'm like, you have got to get off of me or I'm going to get rid of you. I love you, but you got to stop. I always like uh, rain days. We'd go and buy a bunch of brats and stuff and cook up brats and just little stuff like that. It goes a long way. Um, but I got to the point where like the last few years working at retail, I'd get the younger guys and I'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to buy everybody brats on Friday. Do you want to like pay for half of it or something? They're like, it's my money. I don't have to give it back to them. They're making money too. It's like, okay. Yep. Oh, I, there's a lot of times <clears throat> I'll go out and get uh, this meat market here. I'll get some ribeyes and marinate them in Italian seasoning and grill them up. And it's just like Christmas. That's I mean, they, they love it. Yeah. Try it. I'm, I'm man. Somebody showed it to me and you think it's weird until you have it. It's pretty good. It only works for steaks, but you know, um, throw on some, Cut fries that, and I have a what's that? My wife does that. Well, she'll do that with the vegetables. So she'll take like green peppers, onions, and mushrooms and she'll put them in like Italian seasoning. Mm. And uh, that we'll grill those up. But then I take the steaks and we do, I like famous staves on steaks. Yeah. My in laws, I think the first time they came here and had a steak at our house, they asked me if I had A1. And I said, if you need A1, I did a really shitty ass job cooking the steak. I'm like, try the steak first. Well, it's you know I they make fun of me because I make the same thing every time, but they all it's there's nothing left. Yeah, you, you almost get look forward to it. You know that's the oh thing. yeah. Well, I mean, they're I'll go buy. I mean, we got like nine employees, so I'll get a hundred dollars worth of ribeyes, which whatever, and Italian seasoning for or Italian dressing for about six hours. Um, campfire potatoes, and then uh, when I was working at the co-op, my boss would at all of our appreciation dinners would make campfire cobbler, and you take a yellow cake mix. You pour in two cans of, of whatever fruit, apples, cherries, whatever, in the bottom of a pan, put the blue or put the yellow cake mix over it and one stick of butter. Ten full, throw it on the grill. It's unbelievable. Mm. Stupid simple, super healthy because that stick of butter. But uh <laughs> they it's it, they gobble it up and it's kind of funny, but it's like, oh Matt's cooking dinner, and everybody's like, Don't forget ice cream. Yeah. You know, it's going cobbler. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the thing though. Like ag retail, you like if I wouldn't have bought, you know, if there's a weekend I forgot everybody's McDonald's sausage McMuffin and biscuits, holy crap, they'd be like, What's wrong? You know, like <laughs> it's okay for them to expect it. It's okay for you to get the same thing every time. Guys just get used to that. Saturday mornings, McDonald's, all right. You know, it's just oh and it was but it's crazy how that like, you know, if we have four or five good days of spray and I'll try to take just hamburger lunch or something to the rig and They'll all, they'll all be like, you're like, hey, I'm going to bring you lunch. I got my lunchbox. I'm like, that's not what I asked. What do you want? <laughs> and they all just love it when you you know bring it. I'm like, eat your lunchbox at three or four or nine in the morning because you know I'm bringing lunch. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's lost on some people. That, that got to be that way with some of the younger guys. Or I'd say I'm buying everybody lunch today. Do you want to like pitch in or whatever? And they'd be like, well, can I expense that? I'm like, no, no, this is me. And you buying them lunch. Well, that's no, that's my money. 
like yeah it's it's part of being the boss you know you're not their actual boss but you're kind of the boss and you know showing some kind of appreciation makes a big difference but yep and there's that's the nice thing i mean our company's really good to us you know sometimes i can expense that stuff sometimes i yeah i don't would have that too and i don't care i mean I realize that I can't do my job without them. Now I don't, you know, try to hold it over their head or anything because vice versa. I mean, if I'm not out there doing a good job, we don't need all of those people. So, you know, it's a give and take. Well, I think I want to say about five years in, this will blow your mind. About five years into retail, I got approached by my boss and he's like, do you want to apply for this job? And essentially it was like a, a sales manager for all the salespeople in the area that I worked in. And I was like, no, I don't really want to be the salespeople's boss. I, I just, I don't want other people, you know, justify or like basically, I don't want to rely on other people to um, provide, you know, I don't sell stuff. They're the ones selling stuff. So they're in charge of my destiny, essentially. If they suck at their job, then, you know, I, I look bad. Then I realized about a year later, I'm like, shit, I got tender drivers and sprayer operators and stuff already doing. Like yep. I've been doing this for ten or five years. Shit. Well, that was that was me coming out of college. I didn't want to go into sales because I didn't want to live on commission. Well, that's not how industry worked anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and I was always really good at selling, but I didn't like the pressure. And I still, you know, God, I hate goals and shit like that. I mean, I just I know I can do it. I just don't like the pressure. Um, but you know, that's what I really struggled with in sales. And then when you get out and do it, it's like, oh, well, this this is what I do, and it's not that big of a deal. And yeah, farmers don't like it when you go on trips. Yeah, I've been on a couple trips. I turned yeah. out more trips than I went on, but um, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, if you're good at your job and you get a trip out of it, it's not on the farmer's dime. It's no, nope. you. But for us, the the trips were taking advantage of programs. So if it was, you know, we had points assigned to things, then you would sell certain things to get the points that you needed. And that was it. But it didn't influence what I sold the growers. If I didn't go on a trip, it didn't make a difference to me. Yeah, I've I've been on a couple little things that I've earned, and it was never something that I tried for. But I'll tell you what, the, the things that I learned and the, the camaraderie, you know, because generally I get to go with somebody from work. And then you go. And that person, you know, you get to know them better. You get to where you trust them. Um, they've been pretty beneficial to my career, you know. And it's yep. And I got to remember, like, my wife puts up with a lot of shit between the farm and the business. Yeah. So if I can take her on something like that, it it means a lot. You know, we've been we went to Mexico a couple times. You know, with with the company, and and it was one of those deals where our whole location went because our whole location met some sort of goal. And um, yeah, we're able to go and sit with the rig drivers. Like a group of people that you know from work. Yep. I think you would hate that. And it actually was kind of cool because you got to see them outside of work for once. And well, it's, I never would have met a rig driver's wife and and sat around mm-hmm. the pool and drank a beer and and just talked life. I mean, not anything about work. You know, they're they're people too. They have, you know, things and and uh, it was really neat. I got to be really good friends with, you know, people from work that I probably wouldn't have. Yeah, I I think one year we had a really stressful year. I want to say it was 2012, but we basically started spraying into March that year. And we sprayed all the way through September just because of spider mites. And I remember I sent gift cards to every applicator and every tender driver's wife. And it went to the wife and I didn't tell the applicators we were doing it. 
and the note basically said, you know, this is for all the work your husband's done this year, you know, go out to dinner on us. And it would like a little PS at the bottom was like, do not go out with the other tender drivers and sprayer applicators, wives and husbands. Like you go, you and your husband, hire babysitter, go out to dinner on us. And that one, like, if you actually give a crap about their wife, that makes a big difference too. It just, oh yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to know them personally sometimes, but other than that, you know, they're still people. It just, you have to, you have to emotionally invest into them. I mean, you know, even so much as trying to go to their kids sporting events here and there and yeah. um, man, it's, it's really weird nowadays. Like I feel like I have to call the schools and beg to sponsor, but it's like, you know, if I know I have a rig driver and a customer that have a kid that's in a sporting event, it's like I call in the school and be like, Hey, what can I do to support this? I do want my company name involved, but I mean, you know, yeah. these, these people are important to me. So I want something that's important to them. Yeah. I don't honestly, like I've asked FFA groups, I kind of stopped asking FFA groups yep. to support Same. them. I, I'd like to, but you know, if you give them, you know, we would give them a bag of corn or whatever it was, we give them five bags of beans. Somebody bought it because it was, 50% of what the face value is and they call and they just want their five bags of free beans and that's it. They don't care. Yeah. And FFA kids didn't do anything to really support me. Yep. You know, it just, it, I had one where it was, I was expected to take their plot off and help them plan it every year. And that I didn't get anything out of it. Nothing really gained me anything from it. You know, yeah, I would meet a couple of kids or whatever that farm. But other than that, this year I got a phone call and it's like, Tender or the way wagons in the back corner of the shed. I'm not getting it out. I'm sorry. You know, you'll find somebody else. It's everybody's been done harvesting for a week. I am still soil sampling. I, I just don't have time. Well, I was I was really surprised a couple of years ago. I had a really weedy mile plot. I mean, just we never got any rain to get pre-running. Pigweed came on and I called the FFA. I'm like, look, I'm in a bind. Um, I'll donate a thousand dollars if you can get five kids out here for two hours. And uh, tell me, pull weed or you know, chop weeds. I had like eight high school girls show up, not a single boy, yeah. and they worked their asses off. I went to town, yeah. it was humid morning. I got bottles of water and Gatorade, and, and me and my boss were out there with them chopping weeds. And and it was funny, like, I donated the thousand dollars. But when we got done, I said, You guys all sit around the tailgate right here and hold on. I ran to town, I got them all a hundred dollars. I was like, Here you go, you know, this is for me, not for nutrient, this yeah. is not from my farm, this is for me you guys worked your ass off. I really appreciate it. They were all just, of course, no 16 year old girls ever made a hundred dollars in a day. You know, they were just like, <laughs> but, you know, they, they were, they had an awesome attitude. And yeah. I, I, so I made them, you know, I made them get in full dress later in the year and I took the, you know, big check and, and yep. the whole FFA stood up to take a picture. I'm like, Nope, I want those <laughs> girls, you know, take the picture with the check and be in the paper. Cause they did the work, you know, and it was, it was pretty cool. I was I was pretty impressed. I uh said a guy last year literally tell me that I don't do enough for him. And I had gone out, he had one field of beans that got water hemp really bad. You know, they sprayed it, it, it just didn't work, and it was half enlist, half extend beans. And so I went literally bought a bean hook, sharpened it and everything, went out. Spent like four hours in 90 degree heat, went out and hand weeded this five acre field just so I could put a sign on it and you know look it looked good and uh then he tells me I don't do enough I'm like screw you dude like 
you you go find somebody else that'll go hand weed five freaking acres of beans for you by themselves in the middle of summer and like you'll be struggling to find that guy but that's yeah. fine we had a we had a rig driver didn't prime his booms out of field one time and we had that happen and but I did tell the, I took pictures and I texted the farmer and was like, here's what, cause he knew he had a problem and it looked like shit. It was right on the highway, of course. So I grabbed the rig driver and a couple of the other rig drivers. I took them out there one windy morning and we chopped weeds, but you're damn right. I told him before we went out, I took pictures before and after and I showed it to him. Wow. Of course, it was a lesson to the rig drivers too. It was like, don't do this shit again, or you're going to be out here chopping. This is 90 degrees and humid at eight o'clock in the morning. And I'd already sweat through my shirt, getting out of the truck, much less doing any work. Well, you know, that- and, that turned into a thing for me last year. I carried that bean hook. And anytime I was walking bean fields, I had a guy walking. We're looking at a couple of fields for him and I'm walking through the field. And he's like, what the hell is that for? Cause he, he was like, I've never seen one of those before. I'm like, yeah, you'll see. Yeah. And yeah, we were hooking freaking water hemp out of his beans for him. And then I had some two forty and roundup pre-mixed in a little like quart squirt bottle. <laughs> I was out spraying the edge of the field for him and. Like I just do this. I like it's like revenge on the weeds for me. It's kind of yeah. fun. But my dad yeah, gives I, me a hard time. He's like, "You have a mission in life against pigweed." I'm like, "Dude, this shit keeps me up." <laughs> like, haunt, like you have horror dreams about something. I I, I wake up screaming to pigweed. Just uh. <laughs> yeah, I carry. I literally carry a a jug of two forty, a jug of Roundup, and. I got a mix of straight 240, straight Roundup and Roundup and 240 and three different little quart pressurized spray bottles. And I just go out and spray little shit around the edge of the field and right at the field entrance. Because that's always where, you know, like we don't get something primed all the way or whatever. You don't get the edge. I uh, If we got some ragweed poking out of the top of corn after tassel, I'll go out and like spray those off and... Uh, the same guy that I did the five acres of hand weeding, the co-op didn't spray a row of corn, the outside row for like a, it's like a mile one way. Like you had a field where, or a farm where it's a mile each side, you know, it's small fields, but it's both sides of the road for a mile. I went and sprayed two miles of one row of corn with a hand five, like a two gallon sprayer took me like all day. And, uh, yeah, same guy. It's like, I don't, you don't do much. And blah, blah, yeah. I'm like, screw you, dude. I want to go spray your freaking cord for you. You need to have, you know, a way that you can, uh, like, type in an automate, you know, type in a report of what you do every time. So send, send him a text message report, like, ding, you know, ding, ding, every time he's done, you know. We have a scouting report tool that works good. And when I get on a new customer, I'll use it. And after this first year, like, well, why aren't you sending me those anymore? I'm like, you were ignoring half of them, but you knew I was there. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, most of the scouting apps, though, I call them like punch cards. Yeah. That's pretty much all it is. Like, you can drive by in your pickup truck and drop a pin in somebody's field. I mean, it's just. What I, I did like the pins, though, with, especially when I get on a new customer, like send a picture and a pin, you mm-hmm. know, in, in our in our scouting app. And, and you know, they were like, well, I, I, I don't I never saw that. And I'm like, well, drive to the damn pin. And they'll be like, hmm, OK, you're. <laughs> You're right. And they're like, but that's an isolated spot. I'm like, yeah, well, that isolated spot's just going to continue to grow if you don't take care of it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we have some 55 mile an hour agronomists around here too. So. I'm not as good at scouting as you are, but we've talked about that where, you know, like if I drive by and I see kosher mare's tail and pigweeds, I don't even need to get out. Just load up the nuclear bomb and get her, get her ready yeah. to drop. 
Yeah, I uh, I had one guy pretty much every Memorial Day I would scout for him, and it just that was the thing. Every Memorial Day, that was my day. Was always scouting for one guy, and it worked out fine. Just I don't know. I like scouting. It was always in retail. It was my escape at five o'clock. The phone stopped ringing. Finally, I can go scout fields for a few hours. And yeah, now I just do that all day. So park the truck, get the gator off the trailer, throw a lunch in, and that's all I do all day. It's fun. Yeah. I love that. Once corn's big enough, I can row it. I love that. Just running corn all day. Yeah. I- by the time we start scouting around here, it's like 100 degrees in the afternoon. It's like, it could be 8 before I'm interested in doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we probably should end this thing because it's been yeah. an hour and a half. Stop recording. Well, thanks for listening to Matt and I talk about the topics we wanted to talk about. Go check him out on Twitter at KSU Fearless, and I'll catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Rogue Agronomist podcast. Be sure to check out our website, stallagronomy.com, and our other social media for more information and other episodes. Mm-hmm.